Welcome to the Church of the Living God Mount Sterling podcast. We hope you are blessed by this message. For more information about our church, follow us on Facebook by searching for our page, Church of the Living God Mount Sterling. We would love to connect with you, pray with you, and hear what God is doing in your life. Now grab your Bibles and let's get into God's Word. I've got a word today that I feel that uh, will absolutely impact, change, and redirect us in the places that God would have us go. How many's ever played the game Pac-Man? Oh yeah, I, I like Miss Pac-Man better than I did Pac-Man, but uh, but it just seems that you know <laughs> when you play the game, you're you're going around twists and turns trying to gobble up all those little dots, and all the while you're trying to bob and weave and dodge against those little ghosts who come after you. It's the same way out in life. It seems like you've got all these demonic forces chasing you, going around every twist and turn. You're trying to do the best you can when all of a sudden you run right into a devil. And you're like, I don't have what I need just yet. Let me get out of this way. But in the game Pac-Man, they got four power pills. That if you can get to that power pill, the thing that had been chasing you, it gives you the power to start chasing it. And that's the way it is when we get in the house of God and we get a word from the Lord. That when we get that power pill, it gives us the authority and the power to put the enemy on the run and he starts fleeing from us. That's why we must live daily in the word so that at no time we are overcome by the devil, but we are the power of God upon the earth. Somebody give God praise. We need to walk in the authority. And these times as a pastor, I don't. There's times as a Christian I fall short, but I have to remind myself exactly who I am and what God has called me to be. I come today to encourage you and to lift you up. And if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, I'd like for you to go with me to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5. I'll try not to be long-winded like your pastor. But I will preach. Will y'all preach with me? I'm used to hearing amens, praise the Lord, people popping up out of the seats, shouting and running the aisles. Makes a preacher feel good when you get a hold of something that he's preaching. So I want you to get a hold of something with me today. Out of 2 Samuel chapter 5, we're going to start in the 17th verse. And the Bible says, but when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David. And David heard of it and went down to the hold. The Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thine hand. And David came to Balaparism. I want you to remember that. Balaparism. And David smote them there and said, The Lord hath broken forth upon mine enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore he called the name of that place Balaparism. And there they left their images. And David and his men burned them. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up, but fetch a compass behind them and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then shalt thou bestir thyself for then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that my tongue would be the pen of the ready rider. Lord, that it would ride upon the minds and hearts of those men and women that are here today, that we may understand, that we may benefit from the life of those that we read in your word, that it may impact and empower us to follow through, God, in faith with what they did as well. That it may be concerning our battles. That it may be concerning our struggles. That, Lord, we may benefit from knowing what they've went through. 
And God, I ask today that you would hide us behind the cross of Calvary. Then, Lord, that you would hide me in a place that people see not a man, but they will see the Lord crucified high and lifted up in this place. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of my message today is the Triple Threat Anointing. Now, one thing that we all have in common here today, there are three types of people in this place. There are people that are currently going through a battle. People sitting here that is fighting devils, going through troubles and trials, and fighting the enemy. The second type of people are people that are going to fight the devil. And thirdly, there are people who are just coming out of a battle. Every one of us in here have that underlying common denominator that you and I will face, have faced, or are going to face the enemy. That is a product of human existence that when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, hell's gates came open and it left terror that you and I must fight till the day we die. We see here the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of all of Israel. And when they heard it, this reoccurring enemy kept coming back all throughout the lineage of Israel and historical. Israel, you'll see, this reoccurring enemy keeps coming. Even though they get defeated, they come back again. Time and time again. There are devils that you will fight till the day you die. You can sit there and say, I got it under my feet, and you may have for a season, but there are devils that will reoccur time and time again. You may go through a season of peace, and it may not bother you for a while, but then that devil rears his head again. The children of Israel knew exactly how to deal with the Philistines. It was reoccurring. It was problematic. We see here... David be anointed as king of Israel in this particular scripture. But this was not the first time David was anointed. The first time David was anointed, you'll find in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And you rewind the scripture all the way back to David when he was about a 14, 15 year old kid. When God had rejected Saul, he looked for his replacement. And the Lord told Samuel the prophet, he's in the house of Jesse. So, Dave, so David is on the backside of a mountain tending his father's sheep when all of a sudden Samuel the prophet brings the horn of oil to the house of Jesse. And Jesse was told that there's going to be a king anointed in your house. And he had this seniority complex. Thought, well, I'll just bring my eldest, my strongest, and my best-looking son. And the Bible says when he was brought to David, and was brought to Samuel, the horn of oil did not tilt upon the eldest. He brought out the second son. The horn of oil did not tilt upon the head of the second, nor the third, the fourth, fifth, the sixth, the seventh. None of them did the horn of oil tilt to anoint to be king of Israel. No doubt Jesse was puzzled. Surely one of my great sons, but Jesse didn't know what God knew. Because God does not look on the outer things of man, but he looks upon the heart of man. He said, is yet there another? And he said, yes, I've got a, I've got a small, I've got a young son. He's just a strapling. He's out on the backside of the field tending the sheep when all of a sudden he comes kicking down that dusty road. Playing on that harp and them little sheep just following him wherever he went. And all of a sudden that horn of oil started going crazy. That horn of oil said, oh, there he is. And when David got in the presence of the prophet, that horn of oil poured out on the young man. And he became anointed as king of Israel. The anointing poured, it flowed. The word anointing means to pour out the oil or the smearing. Of the oil. That's what the anointing means. To be anointed, but yet was not appointed. There's wherein lies a lot of issues with young Christians. They get anointed, but they're not yet appointed. 
They get anointed. They feel the fire of the Holy Spirit. They feel the presence of God. They provoke God with their worship. And they, they feel the unction of the Holy Ghost. They got a wife. They got two or three kids. They got a dog. They got a cat. And they say, call me Bishop. <laughs> then they start a little storefront church with about ten people. Now call me Apostle because I'm anointed. But the anointing. The anointing does not make you appointed. You have to wait for the appointment. Somebody help me preach in here. Y'all Pentecostal, right? Come on, act like it with me. I know those seats are comfortable. I could go to sleep in them too. But let me say to you, you can be anointed but yet not appointed. You have to wait upon the Lord. Them that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. You've got to learn to wait. The hardest thing to do as a Christian is wait. David had to wait on the Lord. You have to go through things. Because here's what happens. Once you get the anointing, I don't know how hell knows it, but hell knows you're anointed. Huh? I don't know how hell figures it out, but they know you're anointed because hell begins to come into your family, becomes to come into your life. Because the anointed is for a purpose. It's to destroy yokes, break chains. The anointed is to pierce the atmosphere. And the devil knows if he can kill you in the cradle, if he can kill you before you ever know who you really are, if he can attack your identity, if he can get you while you're still figuring things out and get you discouraged, depressed, and alienated, and isolate you, if he can kill you while you're yet young, before who you know who you are. David was anointed, but yet was not appointed. He had to go through some things. God has to season his people. Because it wasn't long after he got anointed, he had an opportunity to fight a giant. He goes to the battlefield and his brethren are there. He's bringing their lunch. You know the story. Nobody wanted to fight the giant. But David knew he was anointed for a purpose. He knew that he had destiny on his life. And he feared not the same thing that every other man feared. That's how you know when somebody's anointed. They don't look through the same eyes that everybody else looks through. He didn't see the giant as a problem. He saw the giant as a promotion. And when you begin to see your circumstance as God making a way for you to take another step up, then you'll begin to see that God is for you and not against you. And you begin to understand Isaiah 54, 17, that no weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper. See, the blessing, we love that scripture, but you go up a couple of scriptures and you read above those scriptures and he says, I have created the smiths that blow the coal. To say, I know the, I created the one who had the power to forge the weapon. And the weapon, although it may be powerful and it has a killing force, I created the man that created the weapon. That when you are anointed of me, the one who created the weapon is not greater than the one whom I created. My creation is greater than anything you could have created. And so he has given us power over all powers of the enemy. Somebody say amen. That we are not to walk in fear and doubt and confusion when we know who we are. Now, he's anointed and he's finding his way. And he goes to battle. He overcomes the giant. That's a whole new message there I could preach. We're not going to stop there. But he goes on and he fights the Philistines in battle after battle. He'd come back to the house. Everybody was shouting in the parade. Saul killed his thousands. David killed his tens of thousands. Because when you're anointed, you'll begin to stick up above the others. There's something about you that's different. Saul's anointing had been depleted because he had hewn himself a vessel, a broken cistern that was seeping out the oil. But God was elevating David, promoting David in the eyes of the people. God's smarter than what you think. Even though David was anointed to be king at an early age, God knew he had to do a work in the hearts of the people around him. 
He had to prepare him. He had to show himself in front of the people that they may see him as a king. So he goes to battle after battle. He takes the foreskins of a thousand Philistines. We see the mighty works that he does. And when Saul was rejected of God, he was so demon-possessed and so tormented by demons, the very young man he could not stand was the only one that could come and get rid of those demons. Because as he played on the harp, the Spirit of God would come and the demons would flee. Why? Because he was a devil chaser. He was anointed to put demons on the run. And the devil did not want to be in the presence of David because David had a connection to God. He knew who he was. Time goes on. He proves himself. But yet the battles get harder. He flees from, for his life from his own king who hated him. Saul threw javelins at him. He pursued him. We find David in many scriptures fleeing, putting, going to the enemy's camp and, and disguising himself as a madman. We see him hiding in the graveyard at the cave of Dulem. We see all the things that transpire in David's life. And you think, man, this is anointed. This ain't pretty. This don't look good. I thought if I was anointed that I would stand tall and that I would just be this man of honor and integrity. When I walked in the room, people would know who I am, but that ain't the anointing. Though you may stick out and you may be different, you're going to be battle-tested. You're going to have to understand you don't get to the plow without getting dirty. There's nobody that plows with clean clothes. And there's times when you put your hand to the plow you're going to get dirty. You're going to get down in the muck and the mire. You're going to fall down sometimes. You're going to get hit from left field. You're going to get hit from something that you wasn't expecting. But the difference between those who are anointed and those who are not is that they know that I may get knocked down, but I'm getting back up because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You're going to get knocked down, but you don't stay there. And as time progresses, you see David changing and morphing into something of a king. And you'll find, in, I think it's first, Second Samuel chapter 2, where David encounters his second anointing. The first anointing was a life-changing anointing. The second anointing you see David being anointed by Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. You see something happening now. They're starting to recognize there's something special about this man. This was six years, six and a half years prior to being anointed king of Israel in chapter 5. So he gets a promotion and gets recognized for the position that he was to attain. He went from a local anointing to a regional anointing. He went to a jurisdictional anointing. He was anointed first among his brethren. Now he's anointed out of one of the 12 tribes of Israel as king. They recognized that he had something special about him. And when he was anointed by the 12 tribes of Israel, guess what? Hell breaks loose again. Although Saul dies, he has a son named Ashibosheth. Ashibosheth had a faction that warred against David for the kingship. They fought. There was a civil war that took place within Israel. And you'll never see where the Philistines come and fight them while the civil war is taking place. Why is that? Because the devil ain't going to fight what's already happening. When church folk are fighting one another, the devil's like, I'm going to leave them alone. They're going to tear each other up. Come on, preach, preacher. And you'll never see where the Philistines or any other enemy gets involved when David and Ashibosheth are fighting for the kingdom. In the same way the enemy does. 
when he sees the church fighting one another. This brother can't stand this brother. This sister can't stand this sister. I don't like that worship music or I don't like this. That don't minister to me. And before you know it, the devil ain't got no part. He ain't going to fight somebody he's already got a hold of. But then the civil war gets put to rest. Mephibosheth dies. David is now in 2 Samuel chapter 5. The Bible says they come to Hebron and they anoint David to be king all of Israel. He is now to be king. All the 12 tribes come together and they recognize David as their king. And there we find that the oil and the anointing was poured the third time. The first anointing was in the house of his brothers. The second anointing was a regional anointing. And the third anointing was the national anointing. He was brought to a place of prominence now where everybody would recognize what God had anointed him for. He was faithful every step of the way. Did he fall? Did he mess up? Did he commit sin? Oh, my God, yes. But that doesn't take away nor does it detract from what God's purpose and calling is in your life. We think because we've sinned we've messed up that that disqualifies us no the callings and the gifts of God are without repentance I'm still called no matter how messed up I, I may get sometimes or how sideways that life may come at me I may understand that you know what it may delay things but does it stop what God has called it took David a period of time when he was first anointed to become king of Israel. He was anointed with a purpose, but lacked the appointment until a specific day at the age of 40, he becomes king of all of Israel. Now, he's on the national scene. Now, there's another level of devils that you got to fight with. Because here's what happens. When he becomes anointed king of all of Israel and Hebron, the Bible says that the Philistines heard it. And when the Philistines heard that they anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David, and David heard of it, and he went down to the hold. He went down to a place of refuge. And he began to inquire of God. He remembered he was the king of Judah before he was the king of Israel. And I wondered why that was so specific, why this one specific tribe anointed him when nobody else recognized him. Because he was of the tribe of Judah. His family was of the lineage of Judah. But even more than that, God anointed him with praise. Judah means praise. God anointed him with praise because David was a worshiper. David, he knew how to touch the throne room of God with his anointed harp and his words and songs. God loved David's heart. God loved David's worship. And so much, he was a man after God's own heart. And he led people to God through worship. There's something about worshipers that recognize the anointing on what God's doing. People who worship continual. People who know how to get in the presence of God. And you know what? The enemy tries to work through people and even traditional church folk that they think we're crazy because we worship God. That we are of the tribe of Judah and that we come into the house of God and we lift our hands and the Holy Ghost comes upon us and sometimes it gets in our feet and sometimes it gets in our mouth and sometimes it gets in our legs and we got to run. They think we're crazy. But there's something about people who know how to praise that pick up on the anointing. They sense it. They know it. They feel it. They recognize it. You cannot go into any situation without worship or praise. When the, when the children of Israel came in, they conquered 31 kings of the Canaanites. And the Lord had Judah 
in the book of Judges to lead the parade. Why? Because praise went before them. You can't do anything without praise. You can't go in the direction that God wants you to go in without seeding it in prayer and praise. Judah was a, was a guiding light to Israel because they knew how to worship. And here David now finds himself in a hole after hearing that the Philistines are coming after him. This is not the first time. This is one of many times. They had a vendetta against David because he had conquered them so many times. He had overcome them. He had taken the foreskins of their fathers and their sons. Now they're coming back for revenge again and again. This is a reoccurring problem for Israel. And let me say this to you, there will be times, there will be devils that will reoccur over and over in all of our lives. There will be reoccurring demons of lust, reoccurring demons of addiction, reoccurring demons of, uh, of things that we thought we put to bed many years ago, only to find ourselves at a place of vulnerability again to the same devil. But the devil you defeated in 19 and... Uh, 19 and uh, 94, you can defeat again in 2021. Because the anointing didn't change. The anointing should have grown by then. And you had the power to put it under your feet then. Now you should have even more authority. Now David, he inquired of the Lord and he went down to the hold. So when he went down to the hold, the Philistines came up and spread themselves in the valley of Rephidim. They found themselves in a place where they thought, now we're going to get him. We're going to, we, we, we got him exactly where he wanted him. We don't, he don't expect us in this place, but he has already begun to seek God. How many remember when he was in the battle, uh, or he was coming back from battle into his hometown of Ziglag, and the enemy had came in and burned the houses down and taken away his children, and all his men, all their women and children were taken. You know, the first thing David did was that he inquired of the Lord. He didn't take matters into his own hands. He didn't just say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. No, he finds himself in a place of prayer, in a place of getting in the presence of God to inquire, to see, God, what would you have me to do? And when he done that, things begin to shift and change. The enemy came up to defeat David in the valley of Rephidim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thy hand. And David came to Balparism, and David smote them there, and said, The Lord hath broken forth upon my enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore he called the name of that place Balparism. He went up, and David overcame the Philistines in that place, though named Balaparism means the God of breakthrough. He named that place, amen, this was a place where God had begun to move in a very supernatural way for David because, God inquired, because David inquired of God and God gave him a word and David overcame his enemy there at Balaparism and named it the place, the God of the breakthrough. I come to tell you, you can go back to a place in your life where you knew that God gave you the breakthrough that you needed. I can take you to the place, I can take you to the time where God began to shift things in my life and he gave me a balaparism. He gave me a place of breakthrough in my life that I was no longer bound, that I was no longer held up or tied up by the enemy, but God broke through in my life and I was made free. By the blood of the Lamb. Somebody give God praise in this place for the battle parisms that He gave you in your life. Where things begin to shift and change. Now, watch this. He defeats them in battle parism. And the Bible says, and there they left their images, and David and his men burned them. And the Philistines came up yet again. Man, they won't go away. Man, you beat that devil back, and here he comes again. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, let's be real. Let's take the church face off for just a moment. This thing come back again. I, I beat you last night, devil. 
here he is, look at me again today. It's a battle, baby. You might as well figure in your own mind and spirit, it's a battle to the day you die. You just got to learn how to fight. You got to learn to be a soldier of war. Because until Jesus comes, there's no rest. Amen. It's always picking up that sword and learning how to use it. Beating back the forces of darkness. Because the Bible says the Philistines came up yet again. A reoccurring problem. A reoccurring devil. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephelim. Look here what David did. And when David inquired of the Lord. How many battles do we face without going to God? Think about it. We just take on the battle because we just assume that God's going to take care of it. And he may very well, but here's the thing, is that before you gird yourself up for battle, you better know what you're getting yourself into. David inquired of the Lord yet again. Every time there was a battle, David put his head between his knees and he talked to God. God, we can learn something from this man. Every time he went to battle, he prepared himself for war through prayer. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up. He told him the time before, I want you to go up. He said, not this time. I don't want you to go up. He says, listen, Thou shalt not go up, but fetch a compass behind them. He said, let them gather themselves, and I want you to put a small army, a small band around them, a semicircle, if you will. And I want you to fetch a compass behind them and come up on them over against the mulberry trees. You're going to have them pinned against the mulberry trees. And let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself, for then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. So the Lord said, you fought the last battle. Now I'm going to take care of them for you. You've been obedient. You've walked in the call that I have set before you. You didn't quit. You didn't give up. You fought like a valiant soldier. God says, just do this, and I'm going to take care of this battle for you. And David did so as the Lord had commanded him and smote the Philistines from Geba until thou came to Gezer. And David gathered himself together, all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. God gave him, when he heard the sounds of the wind rustling through the tops of the mulberry trees, that was to signify that the host of heaven came down to fight those battles. See, church, we need to get to a place where we hear the sound. Like in Acts chapter 2, like a mighty rushing wind. When our spirit is in tune with God and we begin to see what God is doing and where God is going. Because we find in Acts chapter 10 verse 38 that if you want the anointing of the New Testament, it's not the smearing on of the oil, but rather Jesus was anointed by the Father, by the Holy Ghost. For God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and he went about doing good. We are the New Testament anointed vessels of God. Back in the old day, they anointed everything with a purpose. The vessels of the temple were anointed. Priests were anointed. Kings were anointed for specific duties and purposes. By the smearing on of oil. Now we jump over into the New Testament and you and I are that New Testament church. Yes, we do smear on the oil. Yes, we anoint one another as the Word has declared for us to do. But the anointing comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. That we are now anointed by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, to go about doing good as Jesus did. David had a triple threat anointing. He was anointed locally. He was anointed regionally. Now he was anointed nationally. And he walked in obedience to God. I went to Israel going on three years ago. And one of the most 
wonderful places we went to was a, a place that was a reenactment of what it was back in the days of Christ. They had a, a whole little place. I don't know if you remember that where, they, where it was set back in the days of, of Christ. And we went into this one place where they took the olives and they crushed them. And they had a donkey in there that would take at this grinding mill. They would put the olives in there and it would, it would beat the olives and grind the olives and the juice would come out of the olives. And there were three types of oil that came from the crushing of the olives. The first one was called the beaten oil. And that oil was used for lighting the lamps. It was the most purest oil. That's where we get extra virgin olive oil. It's the best oil, the first oil. And it was very pure, but it was good. It was, it was flawless, but it was used for lighting. It was used for powerful things. The second crushing, because after they got the best oil, there was still enough residue in the, in the olive to be crushed again a second time. And the oil that came from the second crushing of the olive was used for beauty products. It was used for the eyes, the lips, for the beautification of both men and women. How many knows that oil beautifies us? The oil lights our way. And the third crushing of the oil, it brought about use for cooking. They would use the oil to cook with. And it goes to show you the crushing that you deal with, the battles that you face, what you are going through, the pressing of the oil, of the, of the olive, if you will, is producing in you what God needs to use for the generation that you're in. That what you're dealing with is not just about you, it's about the people you're going to impact. Share a story with you. Many years ago, I first started ministry. Just started the church. I was probably about 26 at the time. I was 24 when we started the church. We got about a year and a half. God began to move. When we first started our church, we started out with 12, 13 people. We grew rapidly to about 120 people the first year. Tina probably remembers back then we was in a little storefront building. Her and Sylvia and Philip, they'd come and sing for us and worship with us. And we grew rapidly. We grew fast. And we knew we had to find us a place to go. If not, we would start losing people. And we began to put a search party together looking for land, looking for locations, looking for empty buildings. And, man, for a while we could find nothing until we found this place where we currently are now. And that, was, that in itself was a miracle at the time because we were a very young church. We didn't have a whole lot of money. But we bought this place on faith, and we paid for it a year and a half because we flipped the hamburgers and had bake sales, and we, we worked diligently, and we got that thing paid off quick. But here's the thing is that things were going really, really well. And I had a man that worked alongside of me. I loved him dearly. He was my deacon. I worked with him. I developed him. I poured into him. And he had no confidence when he came with me to do much of anything, just, just be a shadow, just to be a prayer warrior. He never was one much to get up and publicly speak, but I encouraged him to teach some Sunday school. And he got his legs under him, and he began to teach a little bit, and the Holy Ghost come on him, and oh man, and he, he began to do some things. People were moved by him, and it surprised him uh, how God was using him, and God was elevating, and I kept pushing him, and I kept promoting him, I kept pouring into him. This man who was one of my very best friends, ate at his house, he ate at my house. We go out, cast out devils together. His son was my youth pastor, loved him dearly. year and a half, two years of us working together. They began to have house meetings. And it all started out good because they were eating fried chicken in the beginning and it turned into they were eating fried preacher at the end. I believe house meetings can be the devil's work. They really can be. Because what happened, it started out good. There was 25, 30 of them meeting, getting together with a potluck, this, that, and the other. Before you know it, they were picking the church apart. Oh, Brother Ryan, he, I wish you'd do this. Here's how it started. Before you know it, they talked him into starting his own church. I didn't know it at the time. 
for six months, seven months, they were coming to our church. I had not a clue. Everybody was shouting. Everybody was rejoicing. Everybody was just, just having a wonderful time in the presence of the Lord. And all the while, they were taking tithes and put it in a separate account preparing for a big church launch. I didn't know it until one day it slipped out and it got to me and I had to confront him. He began to tell me all the reasons why he did the things he did. Man, it ripped my heart out. Not because I was losing 40, 50, 60 people. That hurt, but it was, it was the betrayal of a friend. It was somebody I, I loved, I broke bread with. I, his family was my family. And ours, his. And so we find ourselves, and I did. I honestly, I like, God, I didn't sign up for this. I wanted to quit so bad. I felt so broken. I'm like, God, I did not get into ministry to be treated like this or to feel what I'm feeling. I went through six months of depression, six months of what not, not wanting to preach anymore. I'd go to church and I would just sit in the chair and sob during worship because I just didn't have the wheel. But every time I go to preach, God would give me just enough to get through. And one night I was laying in my bed when all of a sudden it got pitch dark. My wife was laying beside of me. My bed began to descend through the floor of my house. And as my floor, as my floor opened and my bed descended, I look around and I begin to hear voices. I heard the voices of people screaming for me. They're saying, Ryan, help me. And I was like, my God, I'm in this dark place. I see flashes of light and people's eyes and people's faces out of walls, out of the darkness would call my name and I would pull them out of darkness and pull them on my bed. My wife was on the other side helping me. We were pulling people in left and right. And all the while, I was pulling people onto my bed. There was these huge demonic figures that was pulling back. That was, it was like a tug of war. They were biting their legs, biting their arms, gouging them. They were in torment. Here I am pulling them out, and I'm beating back the demons. The demons couldn't hurt me. They could only hurt the people I were helping. And we labored there what seemed to be hours when all of a sudden it got pitch dark again the second time. And when it got dark the second time, my bed began to levitate and descended even further down into another place. It was much like a bigger auditorium. My bed would levitate around the room and people would begin to scream my name. I didn't know these people, but they began to call my name. And when I would go to where they are, I'd pull them onto my bed. I would work what seemed to be hours in that room, beating back even bigger demonic figures, beating back the powers of darkness, pulling these people onto my bed. I was sweating. I was working. I was out of breath. When all of a sudden it got pitched, my bed descended a third time. When this time it descended, it began to levitate over hell. My bed was levitating over lava pits where people were saying, Ryan, help me. My bed would levitate to where they were. I'd take them and I'd pull them up on the bed. My bed, my bed began to levitate towards a cliff. And I saw somebody getting ready to jump off into the lake of fire. And as they began to jump off, I grabbed them and pulled them onto my bed. Man, I could smell the sulfur. I could feel the heat. As my bed was levitating over hell. And what it seemed to be hours, maybe even days being there, helping people, pulling people. Because when I put them under my bed, it was like they disappeared. I don't know where they went. We just labored and pulled and worked and labored. And all of a sudden it got pitch dark. I sat up in my bed. I'm breathing so hard and I'm sweating after being in that vision and being in that place. When all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and says, These are the people that will be forever lost. If you do not preach my gospel. What I was going through with my deacon. What I was going through with my church was not about me. It was about the people that I was going to affect in my future. It was about the people that I was going to impact and pull them out of darkness. And since then, since that day, I've been able to talk people off the ledge, so to speak from committing suicide. I've been able to reach into the dark places and pull people out of darkness. Now they're preaching the gospel and pastoring churches. 
I've been able to reach people. I didn't know it at the time, and I heard all these voices that knew me that I didn't know them. Now I can stand on a platform in Ethiopia, and I can hear the voices. And when I'm standing up there and God says, these are the people that would be lost if you don't preach my gospel. The anointing will take you through some dark places. The anointing will carry you through times of distress and heartache and pain. But God has shown me that if I'm faithful with Leah, he'll give me my Rachel. Somebody ought to give God praise that he has never left you nor forsaken you. What we go through pales into comparison to the glory we receive when we continue to walk with God. Honey, I, eight times now, even now, I want to quit pastoring every Monday. I do. I want to quit every Monday. But something on the inside says you got to keep on going. Because I hear another sound. I, I hear someone else's voice in the distance. And ain't it worth it? Because when you give yourself to Christ, your life is no longer yours. And that's hard to get through to us sometimes. It's hard for me to understand that concept. I didn't sign up for the betrayal. I didn't sign up for the backstabbing. I signed up to lay hands on the sick and they get healed. I signed up to preach to the multitude. I signed up to preach the glorious gospel of Christ and thousands get saved. That's part of it, but that ain't all of it. Because if you can't deal with Leah, you'll never appreciate the Rachels. And I've learned in life that God gives us both. The Leahs and the Rachels of our ministry that makes us who we are. This is a whole different message, but it's worth noting. Jacob loved Rachel in the beginning. That was who he wanted. But he got stuck with Leah. But at the end, when he told his sons to bury him, he says, bury me beside Leah. Why? Because Leah done more for him and made him who he was. It wasn't the Rachel. It was the Leah. You'll find out it is the hard times that make you who you are. It galvanizes your faith. It solidifies your place in the kingdom. Yeah, we enjoy the hoopla. We enjoy the shout. We enjoy the running and the excitement and the celebration of the presence of God and the victories that we acclaim. But that doesn't make us who we are. What makes us who we are is when we fight those battles, when we're crying tears in our pillow at night, our heart is broken, our spirit broken by the things that we're dealing with and the hurt and the pain that we carry. That's what makes us who we are. As soon as you get out of this battle, there'll be another. There'll be a time of peace. And I've learned this. All sunshine and no rain makes a desert. It takes the combination of rain and the sun. That God allows both in our lives to fertilize the ground that we may be fruitful for the kingdom. And I come this morning just to give a word of encouragement to you. And though you may be going through some stuff, you're not going through it by yourself. You are anointed for a purpose. God has smeared his oil upon your life to accomplish something great. And sometimes we get locked into the thinking that what? I'm dealing with is about me when it's not really about you. It's the devil making you feel it's about you, but really in reality it's about all the people that's going to come in the kingdom because of your obedience. All the people that's going to come to know Jesus Christ because you didn't quit and you didn't give up. You're going to lead your sons, your daughters. You're going to lead your wayward spouse. You're going to lead people to Christ. Because you didn't give up. You were faithful. And that in itself is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And that is why you fight the battles you fight. 
He could care less about you as an individual. Well, that's another one lost. But if you can save 10 or 15 more people, 30 more people, 100 more people throughout your lifetime, bringing people to church, bringing people to the house of God, sowing words of love and kindness and wisdom and praying for those who are sick and afflicted and leading somebody to God. Amen. He don't want you doing that and establishing the kingdom of God upon the earth. So I come to you today to let you know you're not by yourself in your battle. You're anointed for a purpose. You're a threat to the kingdom of darkness and Satan knows it. And just know that you're going to go as long as you stay humble before God. And this is the key, is being humble before the Lord. Not getting exalted in yourself. Not thinking of yourself more than you ought to. But humbling yourself before a mighty God. And as Patrick said earlier, and I allude to it, in Isaiah, the Lord said, who will go? Who will go? Isaiah struggled with that question because he wanted to go, but he says, God, I'm a man of unclean lips and unclean hands. I'll do the work, but God, I'm struggling. I got some sin issues. And God's like, I don't worry about that. I just want to know if somebody will go for me. He says, I can take care of the sin. I can take care of your in." sufficiencies. I can take care of those things you're struggling with. And what he did, he had an angel take a coal off the altar and touch his lips and it purged him. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips, unclean hands. I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. He was telling God why he wasn't qualified. God said, I'm not looking for the qualification. I'm looking for the willingness. God dealt with his sin. God dealt with his insufficiencies and purged them from him. Because he was willing to go. Are you willing to go even when you don't feel like going? That's what makes a warrior in the kingdom. Shaking off the fear, the doubt, you know, you're going to have to, that's just a part of the process of being a child of God. But you have to get to the place where you can't let it weigh you down and deter you from the vision that God has set before you. Oh, 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 oh,